7 now in your Bibles. I'm starting in verse 31. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. This is what the Bible says. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Title of my message this morning is Jesus Compassion and the People's Confession. Jesus Compassion and the People's Confession. And if you would like to track the message this morning, you can listen for these six things a larger narrative, an error in the translation from Bluffton to Hilton Head. A tough place to play. You are the man. And an uncommon word. A larger narrative, an error in the translation from Bluffton to Hilton Head. A tough place to play. You are the man. And an uncommon word. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as like-minded believers coming together to build one another up, uh, coming together to sing and praise your name corporately, coming to hear the word. I'm so thankful for the, the songs we sang this morning. You truly are magnificent. There really is power in your name. Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to be talking about that this morning. But oh, how I love that, that last song. Oh, God, my God, I need you. And it's true. It's true of me. It's true of everyone in this room. Oh, God, we need you. And we are fully dependent on you. Thank you, God, for your 
faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness to your word. Therein lies my confidence this morning. So bless, please, bless your people. Uh, God, may your spirit fall fresh on us today. Please set aside any distractions. Please capture our minds and our hearts. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Bless our pastor. Pray that he has a good day today with his family. May they enjoy rest on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So on the occasions that I've had to preach from the Gospel of Mark since we started this uh, series, I've mentioned several times how much of a great writer Mark is. He writes with purpose. He, he doesn't just share stories. He puts stories together that uh, make a, a, a related point, a larger point. Uh, of course, it's all inspired by the Spirit of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. We know that. Uh, but the Spirit uses Mark to communicate in a unique way. I'll explain what I mean uh, as it relates to this passage here, Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 31 to 37. In, in some outlines uh, of the Gospel of Mark, some commentators say uh, that this passage is part of a larger narrative. And it's a narrative that begins in chapter 6, verse 32, and runs all the way through to chapter 8 and verse 30. And the point of the larger narrative is to answer the question, who is Jesus? Mark 6.32 to Mark 8.30 is then separated into two sections. And that section, the first section, uh, starts with Mark 6.32 and runs through our passage today, ending at Mark 7.37. It's a section that starts with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Following that is the miracle of Jesus walking on water. And it's interesting to me that all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But none record a reaction by the disciples to that miracle. It's almost as if it's a ho-hum experience. And even after Jesus walks on water, the disciples don't make a confession about who Jesus is. Mark writes, after the disciples witnessed Jesus walking on water, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Mark 6, 51 and 52. So the disciples are amazed. Jesus walked on water. They marveled at this, the Bible says. But there's no confession of who Jesus is because their hearts are hardened. They don't realize yet who he is. After walking on water, Jesus and his disciples go into the land of Gennesaret, and more healing takes place. 
Mark says, all who were brought to him, all who touched his garment were made well. And that concludes chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, he opens with the scribes and Pharisees confronting Jesus about the breaking of their traditions. Jesus rebukes them for placing more value on their traditions than on the word of God. And he takes the opportunity to teach his disciples, and in doing so, he tells them this. What comes out of a man, that is what defiles a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, sexual sins, murder, theft, wickedness, blasphemy, pride, and more. So Jesus then, after that confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees, goes into the region, the territory of Tyre. And he casts out a demon of the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman. That's where we were last week. If you were here last week, that's where Matthew was in his preaching. And that brings us to today, the healing of the deaf mute. Now, it's possible that he went into the territory of Tyre to get away from the scribes and Pharisees and all of that confrontation. We don't know for certain. But all of what I just talked about, all of that recap, was covered in about five weeks worth of Sundays. Counting today, five weeks worth of Sundays. And all of that are examples of Jesus' uh, teaching, of his healing, and performing other miracles. They're examples of Jesus in word and in action. And that results in the confession of the people in verse 37, the final verse of our text this morning, which says this, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. That ends that first section. The second section begins very similarly to the first The first section began with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The second section, which starts in chapter 8, verse 1, begins with the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. And through to verse 30, in Mark chapter 8, Mark records more miracles, more teaching, more healing. And the culmination of all of that is the confession by the disciples, finally, spoken by Peter for them all, you are the Christ. Mark 8, 29. You, Jesus. Finally, they understand it. Finally, they get it. You are the Christ, the promised Messiah. So the text that we're focusing on this morning is found at the end of chapter 7. Starts in verse 31. Uh, None of the other gospel writers record this event. None. If it weren't for Mark, we wouldn't know about it. Verse 31 says this. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you have been here for any length of time, I've been here for two years and nine months now. Two years and nine months. Hard to believe. If you've been here for any of that time at all, You know how I feel about the King James Version. I I like, I'm not a King James only guy at all. I like the King James. It's poetic. 
It's what I grew up memorizing, what I grew up reading, studying. A lot of my deepest study has been in the King James. I'm preaching from the new King James this morning. A little more up-to-date language, but still King James. There's not much difference from what I read this morning in uh, verse 31 to what the King James Version actually says. There's some uh, minor word changes and placements, but the verse is the same. But based on what I looked at this week, based on my study, it's not exactly right. Oh, that hurt me. It hurt me. So Matthew preaches from the New American Standard, which along with the NIV and other versions gets it right. This is what the NASB says, verse 31. Again, he left the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. That is the better rendering of this verse, which is interesting because take a look at the map that Matthew shared with us last week. This is the same map Matthew used last week uh, in his preaching. Jesus, uh, Shelly's going to use the cursor, so just follow the cursor around. There you go. Thank you, Shelly. Jesus is in Tyre. He's in the territory, the region of Tyre, right now along the Mediterranean Sea. You see that. And he travels to the region of the Decapolis. Now that, you see, is the bottom right-hand corner of the map. All right? Decapolis means ten cities. Deca means ten. Polis means city. Ten cities, so-called, because there are ten major cities in that region. They called it the Decapolis. A straight line from Tyre to the Sea of Galilee, crossing in a boat to arrive at his destination. That would be the obvious way to travel. Get there in a straight line, quicker uh, to arrive, and so on. But that's not the route he takes. Mark says that Jesus first went north. From Tyre, he traveled up to Sidon. And then he headed east toward Mount Hermon on the right, top right. And then he headed south, walked along the east side of the Sea of Galilee into the Decapolis region. It's kind of like living in Bluffton, needing to get to Hilton Head Island, and getting there by way of Ridgeland. You're going way out of your way to get here. And that's what it appears is happening here with Jesus. It's out of the way. There's no explanation as to why Jesus took this route. Perhaps he wanted to avoid the crowds in Galilee. Perhaps he wanted to continue avoiding uh, the increasing opposition he was receiving from the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, could be there was some ministry that happened along the way that was never documented. We don't know. But remember what the Apostle John wrote in his gospel. John twenty one twenty five, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, 
I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So perhaps there's more ministry happening as he travels north and then east and then south, taking the long way. Uh, Some commentators think this uh, must have taken months, perhaps up to eight months to do as he took this route into the Decapolis region. It's a lot of time. We don't know. The Bible's silent. The Decapolis region is Gentile territory, but there are Jews who live there. If you remember, this is Jesus' second visit to this region. Do you remember the first? Sorry, I know this isn't Bible study. I usually ask questions at Bible study. But do you remember the first visit Jesus made to this region? I'll tell you. It was when he crossed over the Sea of Galilee into the land of the Gadarenes. And the man who lived among the tombs was possessed by a legion of demons. And Jesus cast the demons out of the man. I have another question for you. Remembering that, what was the response of the people then? What was it? Get out. Leave. We don't want you here. Because when Jesus cast the uh, demons out of the man, he cast them into a herd of swine. And that herd of pigs ran off a cliff. And they were more concerned about their pigs than they were about the condition of this man. And they told Jesus, leave. We do not want you here. Listen to the reception he receives here. As I said earlier, Mark's not the only, uh, Mark is the only gospel writer who records the details of this specific event, but Matthew does give it a broad brush mention. Listen to what Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 and 30. This is what the Bible says. Jesus departed from there, that's the region of Tyre, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain in the region of the Decapolis, and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the people had been hearing about this man, Jesus. And they came to him with loved ones on this second visit. Get out on the first visit. But when he arrives on this second visit, I got to find Jesus. I got to see Jesus. I got to take my loved one to Jesus. He needs healing. And among those brought to Jesus was a man who was deaf and mute, and Mark is the one who tells us the story. And in verse 32, this is what Mark says, Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. Had an impediment in his speech. That phrase comes from a Greek word, 
Uh, the word is mogilalan, mogilalan. The first part of that word is mogis. It means hardly. The second, that, uh, second part of that word is uh, from the word laleo. It means to talk. Hardly to talk is the meaning of the word. This is a man who is deaf and could hardly talk. In college, I played basketball, and we played basketball against Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. All of the programs and services at Gallaudet are designed for the deaf and hard of hearing. And I learned playing basketball against Gallaudet that just because someone is deaf doesn't mean they're not vocal. They can cheer. They can yell. They can express their displeasure at a bad call. It was a tough place to play. But especially for those who are born without the ability to hear, speech is difficult. So as they cheered, as they yelled, as they expressed displeasure, there were no words. There was just sound. And they could try to put those words into, uh, or put those sounds into words, but it was very difficult because if you don't hear, you don't know what the words sound like. If you've never heard words, it's going to be hard to say words. That appears to be the case for this man here in Mark chapter 7. He's vocal, but speech is difficult. And the people who love this man brought him to Jesus, begging Jesus to put his hand on the man and heal him because the man couldn't make that request for himself. He couldn't speak. And Jesus responds to the begging of the people. The Bible says this, starting at verse 33. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. I want you to think about what Jesus is doing here. He could easily have spoken a command and hearing and speech would have happened for this man. But Jesus' approach here is unique. First, he takes the man aside, away from the crowd. This is a, a one-on-one situation. Away from the crowd. Jesus wants this man's full attention. No distractions. Just me and you, Jesus is saying to the man. Just me and you. So the crowd is watching this from a distance, and I want you to put yourself there. I want you to put yourself there with the crowd right now. And I want you to watch as you see Jesus putting his fingers in the man's ears. I want you to watch as you see Jesus spit. I want you to watch as you see him touch the man's tongue. Can you see it? Can you imagine that? You can imagine seeing that from a distance as someone in the crowd. Okay, now I want you to get closer. I want you to get real close. Right now, 
in this moment, you are that man. Right now, in this moment, I want you to be that deaf and mute man. And imagine yourself there. You'll never know what it's like to be deaf until you really can't hear anything. But in this moment, imagine you are him. You cannot hear. You cannot speak. And you're face to face with Jesus right now. You watch as Jesus reaches toward your head. And you feel as he puts his fingers in your ears. You watch as he spits. You feel as he touches your tongue. You watch as Jesus looks up to heaven. Jesus is communicating with you using the other senses you have. Sight and touch to let you know what he's going to do. Your hearing and your speech are dependent upon what Jesus is going to say and do next. And looking to heaven indicates where the power to heal comes from. Jesus is letting you know this is coming from the Lord. What is getting ready to happen is of the Lord. Do you have faith enough to believe it? That's the conversation that is happening. No words, just sight and touch. And then the Bible says, Jesus sighed. That Greek word translated sighed means a deep groan of sorrow. A deep groan within himself. It's related to the word used in Romans chapter 8 verse 26 which says this, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That sigh of Jesus, that groan that he gives here is compassion for the man exercised in a prayer. He's praying for this man. He had compassion on him and on his situation. And then Jesus says the word ephatha. It's an Aramaic word. If the man is looking at Jesus' lips in that moment, and I imagine he is, it's a word that he probably would be able to read off Jesus' lips and understand what it means. The meaning of the word is translated by Mark for his readers. Be opened. And the Bible says immediately. Immediately. His ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Immediately, the man could hear. Immediately, the man could speak clearly. In verse 36, Jesus then commanded the people not to tell anyone what he had done. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. Remember, 
According to Matthew, this wasn't the only miracle he had performed. So it wasn't just this particular miracle of making the deaf and mute man hear and speak, but it was all of what had occurred that day. Don't tell anyone, Jesus says. It's direct. It's unambiguous. Don't talk about this. Don't tell anyone about me. But Mark says the more Jesus commanded them, the more widely the people proclaimed it. And that past tense of the word proclaimed should actually be more of a present tense. They kept on proclaiming it. Isn't that the way? When we come face to face with Jesus and he does a work in us, don't we want to share that with others? Don't you want to tell someone? That's how they felt. We got to tell it. Are you kidding me? Keep this quiet. They wanted to tell everybody. Listen to what happened. Couldn't keep themselves from talking about what they had just witnessed. And all of this results in the confession of the people in Mark chapter 7, verse 37. And the people were astonished beyond measure. That is, to the extreme. They were astonished to the extreme, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He has done all things well. This Jesus. Now, if I were to connect... Those words, he has done all things well. If I were to connect those words to Genesis 1.31 in the creation account, you might think that's an overreach, maybe. Genesis 1.31 says this, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. But consider the words of Mark chapter 7, verse 37, in light of Matthew 15, 31, that broad brush mention. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. The people got it. They got it. Because of Jesus, they glorified the God of Israel. Remember, this is Gentile territory. There are Jews there, but this is Gentile territory. They glorified the God of Israel, the one true God. They recognized a connection between Jesus and the God of Israel. They saw it. They got it. And just as God saw everything he had made and called it good at the creation... So the people saw everything Jesus did and called it good. The people saw the connection. The disciples needed more time, another 30 verses apparently, because it's not until chapter 8, verse 30. I don't know how much time that means, but another 30 verses later it takes for the disciples. Mark wants his readers to make that connection as well. He wants you to make that connection. So he quotes the confession of the people in verse 37. He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear 
and the mute to speak. And that confession, specifically those words, he makes the mute to speak. Points back to verse 32. Please, stay with me. Stay with me here. Hear what I'm telling you. Verse 37, he made the mute, he makes the mute to speak. Points back to verse 32. Let me read that one more time. Then they brought to him, to Jesus, one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. I mentioned the Greek word mogilalon earlier. Hardly to talk is what it means. In all of the New Testament, this Greek word mogilalon is used only once, and that is here in Mark chapter 7, verse 32. One time. It's not a common word. It is a very uncommon word. But its use is significant here. Question, what language was the Old Testament written in? Hebrew. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But Hebrew ceased to be a spoken language a couple hundred years before Christ was born. So around 250 or so B.C., around that time, the process was begun to translate the Old Testament into the Greek language. And the result is what we call the Septuagint. This word, mogilalon, is a word that could be found only once in the New Testament. And only once in the Septuagint. It's used in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 6. And it's talking about the Messiah. Talking about his kingdom rule. Listen to what the Bible says. Isaiah 35, this is verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb sing. The tongue of the mogilalan will sing. For waters shall burst forth in the desert. And streams in the wilderness. And streams in the desert. The Septuagint is the Bible that was used by Greek-speaking people in Jesus' day. The Gospel of Mark was written in Greek. Mark's goal in sharing this event is to make the connection between Jesus and the Messiah of the Old Testament. This one who made the deaf to hear and the mute to speak is that one that Isaiah was talking about. Make the connection, people, is what Mark wants of his readers. And he wants of you, Mark is saying, the one to whom Isaiah is referring, the coming Messiah, he is Jesus. Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy in Isaiah 35. 
If you're making that connection for the first time this morning, maybe you've never seen it, but if just today you're making the connection that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, that he's the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, that's the Messiah that was promised. I'd love to speak with you. I would love to speak with you after the service. I'll be outside. Love to greet you, say hi. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would love to talk to you this morning. And not only I, uh, our men, our elders would love to speak to you as well. How many elders do I have here? I see David. Dave Juan right here. Anybody else? So listen, if you're not afraid to share the gospel, stay near me. I might grab you. Hear me? I might grab you. If you want to know how to know Jesus as your personal Savior, would you please talk to me outside? I look forward to that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for this book, so thankful for your word, and I'm so thankful for the power of it. And Lord, I pray that where I may have been unclear this morning, you would give clarity, your spirit would do a work, do a work in us, Lord, and give us understanding. Oh, and draw us to yourself. Bless your people. Thank you for them. And Lord, if there's one, you know, if there's one who does not know you as their personal Savior, may today be the day in Jesus' name.